Welcome to North Boston Korean United Methodist Church. Here, we are a family that seeks to love others the way Jesus loves us and raise people up in his love. We are grateful to have you listening. Regardless of who you are, you are always welcome here. For more information, check out our website at nbkumc.com. Happy New Year. It is the first Sunday of 2021. Honestly, can you believe it? Um, yeah, you know, I don't know. I don't really know if... I don't know about y'all, but I, I'm, I'm pretty much like at this point right now where I'm like entering into like a whole new level of denial. Um, and... I hope that your New Year's are going swell, that that you are um, being blessed in the Lord and that you have the space and the freedom to be yourselves before God this morning with hope and expectation for the future. Um, as much as I wish I were giving a more hopeful message this morning, if you guys would, you know, Tell your family members, I don't know which houses you guys are in, but if you guys can tell your family members, give your family members and tell them Happy New Year. Um, if you can, you know, say a hello to anybody on your, on your left and on your right, if you can, if you can just give a hello, um, and a Happy New Year if you're next to anyone. Um, yeah, just, just say Happy New Year. Happy New Year, everyone. Happy New Year! We've had a lot of technical difficulties. Everybody in this room right now um, has this like really, really tense face on. Um, so yes, Happy New Year, Wesley. Thank you. Happy New Year. <laughs> <laughs> Who responds with Happy New Year? Thank you. Okay. Um, <laughs> Happy New Year, everyone. I hope you guys are having a wonderful day. It's kind of dreary outside. Try not to let that get the best of you. Um, but one thing that continues on that does not end is all these freaking sermon series. So we are going to continue on our new sermon series through the book of Romans. If you guys can open your Bibles with me to Romans chapter <laughs> 2 <laughs> um, verses we're, we'll do we won't read the whole thing. We'll do um, we'll do verses 17 through 29. Romans chapter 2, verses 17 through 29. Romans is a the book right after Acts, before 1 Corinthians. Um, it's one of the bigger books of the New Testament. I'm reading from the ESV. It's a hard book to read, so if you read from the NIV, I think that's perfectly fine. Um, so yeah, here, here it is. This is the word of the Lord. But if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know his will and approve what is excellent because you are instructed from the law, and if you are sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself while you preach against stealing? Do you steal? You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, dishonor God by breaking the law. For, as it is written, the name of the God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. For circumcision indeed is of value if you obey the law. But if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. So if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will, his, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? Then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who have the written code and circumcision but break the law. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please join me as we pray. Um, 
Abba, we thank you for, for this morning. And, and we thank you, God, for your grace and your mercy. Lord, we ask that, that you would meet every person where they are this morning. That you would provide clarity and insight into what your word is saying today. Father, we, we take your word. We take not only the parts of your word that are easy to read, not only the parts of your word that proclaim your love for us, but we take your word that slices us, um, slices our pride and eats away at the parts of us that we don't want to give to you. Lord, I pray for your people this morning to be encouraged. I pray for your people this morning to be strengthened. I pray, Father God, for those who love you to be strengthened by your word this morning. That they would not be discouraged from following you, but that they would love you, God. That they would find joy and challenge and loving on you, Jesus. Lord, we just want to give you glory. We just want you to be magnified. And so, God, I just pray that you would continue to be magnified. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right. I don't have a main idea for you today. Um, all I ask is that you take these words well. I am sorry in advance that this is the first sermon of the year. Um, I'll, the title, we'll call it We'll call it stiff-neckedness. That's stiff dash necked N E C K E D dash ness. Um, so today we read right now we read um, about maybe two thirds of Romans chapter two, but but this sermon is actually about Romans chapter one verses eighteen all the way through the end of Romans chapter 2. So it's 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 from the middle of Romans chapter 1, and I'm going to just read the beginning of Romans chapter 1, verses 18, just for you guys to understand um, my hesitance this morning. I'm, ju I'm just going to read through it. Just listen to it, you know, calm your hearts, and, 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 and um, you know, relax your muscles as you listen to this. This is the word of God. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, mainly his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For all they knew God, although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal men and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions for their women exchanged natural relations for those who are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless, shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless, Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Romans chapter 2 verse 1 says, Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. Um, so that's, that's the 
uh, first part of what we're talking about today. And I, I want to take some time before we, <laughs> before we uh, attempt to even apply this into ourselves, if we can just like without, you know, suspending any, you know, level of offense that we might feel at this passage, if we can just look at this passage for what it is, the text for what it is first, before being like, oh, is God talking about me? Um, if we can just look at the passage first, uh, especially in verses 21 through 31, there are these repeated sentences that happen three times, and the structure of it is they exchange God for blank. Therefore, God gave them over to blank. Happens three times. Um, there are different sins and different idolatries and different things that have sw switched and, and, and the repercussions of, of those idolatries and of those sins that, that, that show up in these, in this thrice repeated stanza. Um, but basically what's going on here is that humans are putting their own God or sin in place of the truth that God has revealed to them. Therefore, God actively gives them over. Um, before we think about anything, I just want, before we can think, um, if you can just think about what, what we consider to be sin, um, what, what, what sins do you consider to be grave sins? Um, for me, I think one blatant one that is particularly egregious and serious is murder. Murder, I think, is pretty, pretty bad. Um, what about you guys? What, what's a, what's a sin that you have, uh, or not with that you have? Cause I, I haven't, praise God, I haven't murdered anyone. Um, but not, not a, not a particular sin. Can you tell I'm very anxious to preach this passage? Um, not, not a sin that you guys have done, but a sin that you consider to be terrible. Um, what, what would be one that, that you can think of? For me, I think it has a lot to do with hurting other people maliciously. So I, I feel like, you know, um, severe domestic violence and trauma, um, murder. Um, I feel like a lot of those are things that are considered worse than most. What about you guys? What are some sins that you consider to be particularly egregious? Why are they egregious to you? Think about that for a second. Yeah, obviously murder is bad, but what, what, what makes murder so objectively bad? Not just for, not just for God, where it's a sin, but for us, what makes murder so terrible? For me, I think it, it, it comes down to two things. I think it comes down to the fact that the, the audacity of man to think that they are in the position to take another life. Um, this is one of the reasons why, this is a side note, but this is one of the reasons why, even as a law major, I was against the death penalty because there, there is something to be said about the audacity of mankind um, to be willing to be judged to the point of viewing themselves to be superior and taking a life that they did not create. It's, it's like, it's like, you know, it's like an AI, like not to get into AI and get into iRobot, but you know, sometimes the only the only thing that can shut down the monster that is artificial intelligence are the are the people that created it. If if they're lucky, if the machine learning hasn't made the AI even smarter than them, um, oftentimes there's something to be said about the special privilege of, of a creator. But we don't have that privilege for one another. So there's this element of like, okay, even if right, even if this person has committed an egregious crime, like. Do we have the right to take another life? Um, I think that's something to be said. Like we can, th we can have a thought experiment all the way to thinking about like Hitler, right? Um, now he took his own life, but you know, while I, I absolutely abhor him, um, I've done a lot, a lot of study on him um, and on the Holocaust for many, many years. Even wrote an essay on it recently. Um, and I think there's something to be said, even even to a man like Hitler. Like what what? Do we have the right to take another person's life? I think that depends on whether or not we are judged, right? Um, and then the second thing is, is, is the sheer consequence of murder. Um, the consequence that is irrevocable. You know, if you write something down with a pencil and you don't like it, or you don't like putting that out into the world, you can erase it. Even with words, 
that you give to another person. Now, words can hurt, words can sting, and words can also be irreversible. But words can be worked at. There's still an opportunity, there's still a chance to work at something. Even if you steal something from somebody, there's still an opportunity to give them back what they rightfully deserve. But when it comes to murder, because we are not the creators, because we are not the ones to have made life, human life, we are not the ones that can engineer it, we are not the ones that can put it back. And there's this finality about killing somebody that can't be reversed. Now, those are some things that make murder severe, right? Now, this, this passage, what this passage is talking about is the severity of the impact of sin. Um, if you can, like, bird's eye view out of, you know, the individual things that they're talking about for one second. It's about how humans put their own God or sin in place of the truth that God has revealed to them, and therefore God actively gives them over. Now, you might be like, whoa, actively. I mean, it says God gave them over to their passions, to their indulgences, to their desires, and it births, it births sin upon sin and destruction, right? Um, but this is actually like some, you know, some theologians say that it's like a passive, like God lets go of the boat and lets the current take them for where they're headed. But it's actually not quite passive. The language here is very active. It's, it's not a let them do what they want kind of thing, but it's God, God, God reacts to the human decision to turn from him by allowing for them to deal with the consequences of their actions. I'm going to say that one more time. God reacts to the human decision to turn from him by allowing for them to deal with the consequences of their actions. This, this particular passage is very well known. Paul is like echoing, um, it's not, it's not canonical scripture, but he's echoing something that's in an extra biblical book called the Wisdoms of Solomon, where, um, there is this like very overt and very like upfront condemnation of Gentiles and their pagan way of life, right? With fornication and, and, um, experimenting with sexuality and all of these things. And, and, and this, this particular teaching is very, very well known in the, in the Jewish religion. So it's not something that's so, um, new for everyone who's listening. If you guys remember, uh, Roman church was originally a Jewish church. The Jews were kicked out, brought back in. It's now mainly Gentiles, but there are still the Jews and the, there's this hierarchical thing going on. And so, um, to the Roman church, this is not a new, like, learning. And it's not necessarily, like, Paul pointing out any new sins that anybody has committed. This is kind of like something that has existed in the Torah. It's something that has existed in, in scripture and in the way that if the Jewish tradition has taught sin and taught the difference between Jews and Gentiles. And so whatever they're reading right now in terms of the actions themselves, it's not that shocking. And to, to, to be real, even to us, it's, it's not, I'm sure for many of us, it's not the first time that we've read something so egregious, right? And a lot of us, in, in Sunday school and in youth group, we have we might have felt attacked before by by, by passages like this. Um, but the but the point of this passage is, is the language of it, um, and it's this understanding of the problem of sin, and how it leads to these consequences, and how human beings made the active decision to turn from God. Therefore, God gave them over to deal with the consequences of their actions. Because we did not approve of God, he handed us over to unapproved desires. If we can think about it this way, right? To, to let somebody give in to their desires and deal with their actions when we love them is never a passive thing. It's never a passive thing. For example, let's say your kid went to jail. Let's say your younger sibling, your older sibling, your significant other, did something really bad one night and went to jail. In our justice system, there's something called bailing somebody out, right? You pay a very, you know, you pay a whatever amount um, that's like kind of proportional to what you're being charged of. And if you, if somebody pays that, then you can not be in jail until trial, right? Many people get bailed out, right? Um, and... 
many times, like, we might want to take these kinds of actions because we care about the people that we love, regardless of whether or not, would you stop loving your parent or your older sibling or your younger sibling because they committed a crime? No. I, I mean, if you, you, you will wrestle with it. It's not like it's easy to deal with the fact that, you know, loved ones can do something so, so bad. But we won't ever stop loving them. And there's nothing wrong with that. That doesn't make you a criminal. It makes you a human being, right? And it is so easy for us to protect the people that we love. That when you love somebody enough to let the consequences of their actions happen for us, that, that can never be a passive move. It always is an active move you're making because the easy thing to do is to keep them safe from the consequences of their actions, right? Why do parents yell at us? It's because they don't want bad things to happen to us. And that's why they yell at us first. They don't want you to be yelled at by anybody else. They don't want you to pay the consequences of your actions, right? If you guys are, um, for some of us, maybe maybe our loved one has a bad habit. Um, I know for, for me and my, and my family, um, there, are, there are a lot of, especially in our extended family, um, I, I can't disclose it here. There's not, a, there's not a lot I don't disclose, but I won't disclose this. But there are, you know, members of our family that are wrestling with, with addictions and bad habits that all of us despair over right? Um, and situations where we might have to constantly bail them out every time, constantly pay uh, for the repercussions of their actions. And that's hard. It's hard, but at the same time, you want to do that because many of us, we might find us ourselves doing that even if we, you know, you know, get bitter at the person because we don't want them to die. We don't want them to suffer, right? Now, God loves his children, but his children have made an expressed decision, an expressed decision to turn from God. But that leads to destruction. That leads to internal damnation. And God obviously doesn't want his children to go through that. So to allow them to continue to live in that is not in any way a passive move. It is an active restraint of the Lord and it is an active action to let them continue not because God doesn't care but precisely because God loves them because oftentimes we all might not be the type of people to learn unless we learn it ourselves my mom would tell me Jane don't smoke don't drink stay in school don't do drugs you know and I never listened to her right because until it was you know either too late or deep in because I had to learn from my own decisions. I had to learn from my own actions. Even when, you know, I was taught in church to stay out of things. And even when I was taught by my parents how to live and how to act, oftentimes those kinds of actions, I didn't actually learn to do until I made those mistakes. A lot of us might be that kind of person where we're just too stubborn. We're just too stubborn to listen to another person. Um, I'm not judging you if that's you because that's me too. But that's, that's a, that's a weakness. I want y'all to know that it's not something to be like, oh yeah, I'm just too stubborn. Haha. No, that's a weakness that comes from the human condition of pride. It's not something to be proud of. Okay. But a lot of us, we, we are that way. And, and that leads us to need to make our own mistakes. Um, and maybe even be, maybe even be adamant in doing so, right? Like stop talking to me and telling me what to do, I'm going to do what I want to. Um, and, 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 and God, God actively, even though he has the power, the sovereignty, uh, the ability to strike us dead or smite out the human race or at the very least stop us, restrict us completely, strip us of our free will, like on the spot. He doesn't do that. And that's that's an active move of the Lord. Now you might say, you know, some of these things now now to address, you know, the content of what's 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 talked about here, because I don't want to I don't want to beat around the bush and leave too many questions floating around in your mind. Um, you know, 
the question between something that is unnatural and natural to our design, right? It says, you know, women are given away to their unnatural desires. Men are given away to their unnatural desires. And now I, I want to make something clear. Um, I'm not really comfortable. I, I've given, you know, we've had, I've had lots of conversations with people in our congregation about this. Um, but I'm not too comfortable, like, expressing my exact point right now because I love, um, there are many people that I love um, who um, might not be, you know, for lack of a better word, straight. And, and I, I, come from, I come from New York and, uh, yeah, I really love people these people, and I've wrestled, I want Shelton, I've wrestled with my sexuality as well, like, growing up in New York, of course, are you kidding? Um, so I'm not, I'm not, I'm not trying to condemn anyone or anything like that, but there is, I just, I just want to address this one thing, this idea of what is natural and unnatural, um, and there is this, there is this point that many of us might think, you know, if people are born with it, you know, if people are born with it, is it unnatural? Um, I just want to gently point out the fact that we are all born with sin. Um, it's not like sin is injected into us uh, three days in. Um, and there's ever a point in our, in our existence here on this earth, in this depraved earth right now, where sin doesn't exist, right? Original sin is passed on through the through through the the line the line of ever since Adam and Eve committed sin it's been passed down in in human DNA so if the argument that if you're born with something it cannot be a sin is null and void simply because that is exactly how that is precisely how sin is passed down sin is sin is passed down in our makeup in our physical, spiritual makeup, original sin is passed down because it has infiltrated and contaminated our very genetics, our very, our very consciousness. Um, and so, you can you can be born with sin. You can be born with something, and for it to be wrong and out of your design, just as much as you know a disability that people are born with. That, that's not, people are not born that way because of no reason. That's another very un, unfortunate and, and hard um, side effect of the depravity of the human condition. Now, I don't want to chalk up anybody's sexuality to an illness um, by any means. Um, because that's hurtful. Please, everyone as a congregation, just another side note, many side notes with this one, please be careful about the way that you express your theology. Um, for those of you guys who are more conservative, for those of you guys who are more liberal, please be mindful of hurting people around you. Please, don't just be like, don't be blunt. Um, nobody benefits. Um, God does not receive glory from our... from our insensitive way of expressing our beliefs. Um, so not in any means am I comparing um, who people naturally are attracted to to sickness or anything like that. All, all I'm saying is that is that um, when it comes when it comes to sin, we are born with it, but it is unnatural and whether, whether or not you guys agree with this passage is a whole other situation. I wrestle with it daily. Um, clearly, I am wrestling with it. I don't know if I, how, how comfortable I even feel with the fact that, you know, this is going to be on the internet, out of my mouth. And, but, you know, I'm just trying to be obedient to the Lord right now. Um, but, yeah, I, I don't. But we can continue to wrestle with that and we can continue to have conversations about the content of this passage. All, all, that, all that you need to know for this, for this sermon is 
is that this understanding of the fact that we they exchanged God for blank and therefore God gave them over that, that there was an active allowance of the Lord because he loves us and it would be too difficult it, there's no way that it, it would be passive now this is all bleak and it sounds like to, it's directed to the people who do this this sounds like a very condemning passage for the people who enact in these behaviors but when and and this is the problem with taking scripture out of context okay if you just read romans chapter 1 verses 18 through 32 you're like ah god is taking a giant thong on the gentiles right but that's not that's not true it's not true if you read romans 2 you actually realize that this is towards the jews and what I mean by that is, Romans is about faith. Romans is about justification by faith. And Paul has listed in a doctrine that everybody knows very well. And so we're going to break down how chapter 2 actually reveals the intent of Paul to go into this, right? So at, so at first, 1, 18 to 32 sounds like Jewish teaching. And many Jews at this point are probably nodding along. And then Paul turns it on them. Romans chapter 2, verse 1, Therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge, those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impetuous heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Very, very strong language. Almost right, immediately you're... It's like, ah, it's, you know, um, actually I can't right now off the top of my head think of like a comparison, but it's like, yada, 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 but hey, this is the real point that Paul is making and he turns it on them. You have no excuse to judge them because you are the same as them. Now, what does this mean? Right? What does this mean? Because the Jews, they were very moral people. Almost like us, guys. Like a lot of you in this congregation have not have no have, don't have a bad bone in your body and have not done a bad thing. Um, or for the most part, you know, you don't do drugs, you stay in school, you you don't smoke, you don't drink. And if you do smoke, like or drink, that's I don't that's fine. Not that that's fine, but you you get my point. There's there's no judgment here, but you know, even if you do engage in some of these things, for the most part, a lot of us in this congregation we're kind people, we're moral people, um, we're loyal, we love one another, and and we wouldn't we wouldn't harm anybody. Um, and so by by that standard, like, aren't we better at least that, than the people that Paul is describing? But. Have you committed any of these sins? Have you lusted after somebody else? Right? Have you given in to sexual sin before? Um, have you any, just any of these sins, any of them, even dismissing the Lord um, to do what you want to? If you do commit at least some, and 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 one of the things that Paul is he is presuming is that preoccupation of the law, like overlording the law over other people, you know, being too being too like flaunting your faith in another person's face is not cool. Christianese to the point where it's uncomfortable. 
is not cool. Like, don't throw around the words accountability and and community and koinonia and communion and agape and, you know, covenant and... Did I say intentional? Intentionality and brother and sister. Like, don't just call people you everybody you don't i like i it's, i get the good intention but um being preoccupied with the law and living it out to the point where You know, you can't deal very well with another person's sin. If another person's sin makes you uncomfortable enough to have to express that to another person. I think that, I think that is actually really, actually what I just said, being uncomfortable with another person's sin to the point where you have to discuss that with another person. I think that is actually a very good indication of your preoccupation with the law. Um, Obviously... Do we not keep each other accountable? Do we not keep each other in check? Yes, but you are not the judge. Nor are you the ruling authority. Like, that is not the point of scripture. Scripture does not need you to be a mascot for righteousness, right? And so, if if we have internalized righteousness based on how much we live out the law to the point where another person's sin leads us to feel so uncomfortable that we have to talk to another person about that person's sin behind their back or even even it like i mean i'm obviously like if you're worried for family if they're engaging in something that is hurtful and harmful i'm not condemning you for that by any means um worry i think is different but um i wouldn't say always even even when it comes to like my own family i don't know if worry was always the reason why i had to discuss it um and so uh, preoccupation with the law, Paul does define here as a form of idolatry. Um, and he goes into that later because he says that what's important is the circumcision of the heart. And that judgment of people rebounds directly onto them. Now, I, 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 want, I want you to know, like, I am actively wrestling with this as well. So if, if you are like, oh, like, am I preoccupied with the law? I say to you, like, hey, I'm working on that too. Like, you're not alone. Like we can, we can work on that too. We can be better about loving people together. But, um, in light of that, even solidarity and no judgment, I'm like, nobody's judging you for, for even that. Right. I don't, I want this to be a judgment free zone to the point where we can, we can at least point out our own sins and what we're wrestling with in terms of righteousness in our hearts, because that's what's necessary. That's why church is necessary. But in light of that community, I think it is really important to be honest about what we've done and about how we might have acted in spaces of community and how we might have allowed the law to enable us to be one type of way. Okay? Um, if any of this is you, which I'm sure maybe apart from the young one, the younger ones, because the younger ones have not lived life enough yet, to get to our point, but younger ones, you will get to this point as well. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure um, many of us ha- might have done one of these things, but the judgment of people rebounds directly onto us. And God does not show favoritism. Now, this whole this whole bit in Romans 2 is actually a direct slap in the face to the Jews. Because Jews operate on this sense of favor. Hey, can somebody turn on the lights? It's getting a little dark in here. Um... So the Jews operate on this sense of, of favor. And, and because of that, I think it's um, very easy for Jews to feel slapped in the face. Right. And then Paul goes on into saying that knowing the law is not what saves you. Obeying it is. You who brags about your knowledge about this law, do you not break it? And that's when he goes into the part where he says circumcision of the heart is necessary. So it's like, and, and there's this presumption, and he, he mentions it, 
here in, in verse 5, or no, verse, verse 4. Do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? Um, this is hard. By no means is this easy. No, by, by no means is this easy. And so I, if, if you guys are wrestling with this, um, I think that that's very normal. But if, if we were to, you know, visualize it, it's like when you sin, right? Especially when you do a sin in private or when you, I mean, even when you sin and it's in public and you're, you're in shame about it, right? Um, you go before the Lord, right? Let's say, because you know God's grace. If you don't know God's grace, then it's even worse. Because then you think that God doesn't love you, which he does. But it gets even it gets even harder. And the condemnation gets worse. But it's, you know, when, when you believe that God loves you and you've committed a sin, you go before the Lord, you're like, God, forgive me. And then because you know that in God's grace and his love, he has taken the cost of that. You show yourself the grace. And you walk, you move forward, right? You move forward in your life and you can continue to press into what God has for you, right? But then if that, if another person goes out and does the same thing, right? Like, like let's say you've had a, like, let's say, let's say you've cheated on a test. And you're like, God, forgive me. But then another person cheats on the test and they get caught and you're like, ooh, oh, okay, right? Or if you've had a bad night, you know, um, for those of, those of us who are underage, you did something that you you shouldn't have, right? And you were under the influence, and you're you go before the Lord the next day, and you know God forgives you, right? But if that same if if that same action another person does it, like whoa, whoa, like what? Whoa, right? Um, it's kind of that this this thing. It's it's we are so quick to show grace for ourselves. And because it is so hard to digest God's, like, cause even, even when we show grace for ourselves, I honestly think it's because we, we often, even when we believe that God forgives us, sometimes it's hard for us to forgive ourselves. So I think it's easy, like, I think it's easier for us to feel better about the thing that we've done when another person is as bad as we are or worse. Um, so it takes the attention off of ourselves in our minds for a little while. Um, and maybe that's not the reason why you do that. Maybe it's genuine concern or, or whatnot. Now, I'm not making a blanket generalization by any means, but, um, for many different reasons, we might be much more gracious on ourselves than we are for another person. Um, and I, I've, I've found that it's, it's my desire sometimes to also make light of what I've done wrong as well. Um, and to you who, who, who is like that, you know, to us who might act this way. Scarier thing, you know, it's not, it's not, it's not the prodigal son. It's this elder son stuff. You know what I mean? Um, the people who've been in church, we are, who are more sophisticated in sinning, right? Um, it's harder for us to swallow. And if that's you, I mean, I'm right there with you. Some of you guys might be like, Jane, I'm not, I'm actually none of these things. Um, I'm actually, I haven't committed a, a bad thing. And, and I think that's why I get uncomfortable with other people sinning. And, and to you, I want to, I want to reiterate the fact that neither were the Jews. It wasn't that these Jews were bad, you know, it was their judgment of others, even though they had done at least one of these things. And one of these things can be gossip and slander, coveting another person, lusting after another person, right? If we've done these things. And we hold righteousness to an, a whole other standard on other people than we do when we than we do ourselves. When it's righteousness by faith, there obviously that's going to be the first thing that God points out to us because that is that's not healthy for our spirit. Um, some of you guys might also be saying like, Jane, why is God so angry here? And I want us to you know. Like consciously remember that God does not get angry in the same way we do when when it's 
When it says that God gave us over to our desires or when it says like God is angry or, you know, his wrath, God's wrath is not self-seeking. God's wrath is not boastful. God's wrath is not overdone. God's wrath is severe. God's wrath is, is holy. God's wrath is righteous. So I need you guys to stop thinking about God's emotions the way that you feel. Because God and we are different, completely different beings. And we are made in the image of God. So there is so much more perfection in God. And we are a shadow of that. And so before you judge God's wrath, I want you to pause for a second, okay? Just pause for a second with that. And, and so this passage is not easy to preach and it's not easy to listen to. And it ends with verse 29 is a Jew. One, a Jew is one inwardly and a circumcision is matter of the heart by the spirit, but not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. How do we apply this into our lives? Okay. Not just the circumcision of the heart, but because the circumcision of the heart is is based on everything that we had said before. So just before we get into, you know, applying the circumcision of the heart, um, how do we apply everything that we're hearing here? This stiff neckness when it comes to our sin and when it comes to other people's sin. How can we apply that into our lives? Um, there are two ways that we can be stiff necked about sin. Sometimes we are not willing to talk about where we are or we're not willing to address our sins and we're not willing to let God move in those darker places of our hearts, right? That's the first way that we can be stiff-necked. Like, God, I'm going to church for you. Just let me be. Um, and I talked a little bit about this in my sermon um, for the conference about being renewed in the spirit of our minds. I want to say just this because I'm not out here to pragmatically call you out um, or even to tell you what to do. Like, please, please know that every in every person's life, as, as lukewarm as an application this is, it's, it's a case-by-case basis of what exactly to do based off of your individual walk with God and your individual circumstance. There's no one-size-fits-all way of breaking past stiff-neckedness. Um, but I will say this, and that's the, a lack of concern with sin is incompatible with the faith we've been given. You can't, you can't believe in God and not be concerned with your sin at the same time. So if you are both of these right now, search your heart. Why are you so not concerned with your sin? Especially during quarantine, where there's less accountability, more comfort. Why are you so unconcerned with your sin? That is not from the Lord. Don't chalk it up to grace. And don't leave it till later. If you are unconcerned with your sin, that is incompatible with the faith that you have. And a lot of the times, some of us are unconcerned with our sins because we are hopeless. We feel hopeless. There's no, there's no point in, in going another way because we can't. If that's you, more than just telling you a lot of, a lot of great statements, I want you to contact me sometime this week. If you're hopeless to the point where you can't see yourself changing and breaking free from unhealthy habits that you might have or anything of the like, come talk to me. Because you before before you get to renew the spirit of your mind, you might need a lot of love and kindness. And I'm not by any means trying to punish anybody here because it is, it is not the judgment of God that leads us to repentance, but the kindness of God. That's exactly what it says in verse 4. And that's why Apostle Paul is saying, don't presume off of God's kindness that you're good. God's kindness is meant to lead you to repent. And that is why a lack of concern 
concern for your sin is incompatible with the grace that you've been given. Because the grace of God is meant to lead us to a point of repentance. It's meant to lead us to a point where we want to walk in the footsteps of the Lord. So if that's you, get on your knees. Right now, get on your knees. Get on your knees. Wherever you are, on your bed, on your chair, on your floor, get on your knees. Turn on praise music right now. If you don't want to, you can turn it on right now or you can do this right after the sermon. Spend time with God. Let me know that that's where you're at so I can be praying for you. Because that's not a, that's a very unhealthy place to be spiritually. Even if you feel fine emotionally, that is a very unhealthy place to be spiritually. And you don't have to, you don't have to break past your hopelessness or, or your or your complacency alone. And it's not that you have to even break through from it. Let let the kindness of God impact you. Don't keep it at a distance and let it impact you. Let it actually seep into your heart. Apply it in your life. So a lack of concern is incompatible with your faith. For some of you guys, that might mean that you need to repent. For some of you guys, that might mean that you need to let the kindness of God in right now. For some of you, that might mean that you might just need to go cry to God. Because you've been away for a long, long time. And it's lonely. But you've been so stuck in your ways that you don't know how to turn back from the Lord. And you want to come clean, but it seems too hard right now. And sounds like you might just really need a good reunion cry with God. And a good, just a good dose of submission to what, to what God has called you to be. The second thing that we can, we can apply this in is we graciousness for those who believe differently than we do and who have lived differently than we have. What I mean by this is we need to be we need to be gracious about those who have lived different lives than we have. If there's somebody in your life that is super duper angry, that is super duper sentimental or um that is living in a way that is not compatible with the Lord. No. And, and, and you're judging them or you're keeping them at arm's length or you don't like them um, for their personality or something like that, right? Or, I don't know, they've been judged too much and they've left church and you're trying to find a way to bring them back but you don't know how to talk to them. No! Let me tell you this, okay? Know that God on earth would not take the same approach as you. I want y'all to think about that for a second. Jesus sat with the worst of people. It wasn't because he was one of them. If there is somebody in your congregation that you are having a hard time loving because of their lives, And this is for me too, because I have a really hard time with this. I'm I'm not saying this towards, like, if you've been hurt by somebody and you're having a hard time forgiving them, that's a whole other situation. I'm not blanketing anything. I'm just saying, if there's somebody in your congregation who is living a particular kind of lifestyle, who hasn't harmed you, something outside of it, but you just have a hard time talking to them or you don't really want to pause and really think about whether or not that is consistent with the God that you are lording over them. Another thing to think about is graciousness for those who believe differently than you do. Everyone can come to the gospel of grace differently. And everyone is, everyone's story is different. Don't judge another person's theology based off of what you think is right. I'm sorry if some people feel called out right now. 
but do not think you can come in here and judge another person because they might believe in something that you don't believe in. If it's heretic, if it's heretical, we will address it. Our ministry is not based in anything other but other than the Lord. We are not trying to blaspheme and we are not trying to be heretic. But there are certain things that are disputable. Complementarianism and egalitarianism is one of them. Spiritual gifts and lack of spiritual gifts is one of them. More liberal versus conservatism within the realm of inerrant authority of scripture, within the realm of Christology and Jesus Christ as God incarnate, son of man, fully God and fully man, crucified for our sin, descended it, and, and on the third day rose again from the dead and is seated at the right hand of God right now in the flesh, within this understanding of scripture. Stop. Stop. Just stop. Please. Please. Stop. I don't know who had to hear that today, but do not be a Jew in this situation. Now, I'm not trying to be anti-Semitic by any means. That's not an anti-Semitic statement by any means. But don't be as the Jews were here. Don't be as the Jewish Christians and the Roman church were here. You are doing incredible harm to your own spirituality. Yes, your theology is your own. Kudos to you to thinking critically. As somebody who does it for a living and learns it every day. Let me tell you. Actually learning about God and theology is actually what makes you the most humble. So if you can't be humble about your faith. About your faith in and of itself. I would have to gently, gently correct you and say, I don't know if you're learning theology. So don't, don't church, let's not, let's not harm ourselves spiritually. Um, we've got to be gracious. And the only reason why I come off strong about this in terms of theology, in terms of, in terms of people's lives and, and being gracious, the only reason I'm doing that is for you. Because it's not good for us. Specifically for the people who judge. Do you not see what scripture says? We have to keep our head on straight. It is a split second that we can get prideful even about our faith. We must keep our head on straight. Lastly, you know, Jane, how can I be circumcised in my heart? I think the way that Paul describes circumcision of the heart has to do with doing a lot of these things, you know, being gracious, no longer being stiff-necked about your sin. Those are two of the more defining Things about being circumcised in our hearts. But it, you know, because circumcision was about an outward mark of being saved, right? It was a mark of the covenant that God struck with Abraham, Genesis 17, after God had promised. Abraham all these things in Genesis 12 and had struck a covenant with him in Genesis 15. In Genesis 17, um, God marks circumcision on every male in the tribe of Israel, in the in the in the kingdom of Israel. Or it wasn't a kingdom back then; it was a tribe. Um, as a mark of being set apart, God's chosen ones. If circumcision is a mark, 
internal circumcision, right? A circumcision of the heart and a circumcision of the spirit. It is a lifestyle. It is definitely a lifestyle. Obviously, given the things of praying and reading, which which many of us struggle with, um, but it's not that that makes you circumcised in your heart. So I think what I think what Paul is saying here, I guess to to sum everything up, is that being circumcised is not reading, it's not just doing your devos, it's not just praising every day, and it's not just praying. I mean, those things are great. Please continue to do them. But what actually marks the believer is repentance and graciousness. It's being soft and not hardened in our hearts about our sins. And it's being gracious to people who think or believe differently than we do. What does it mean for you to follow the mark of Christ? One of the most beautiful marks of the ministry of Christ is that he came to save the lost, not judge them. So if you're going and judging them, are you circumcised in your heart, in your spirit? But I will say this, it's not a behavioral change. You need to love them. So maybe circumcision in your heart is love. Love for yourself. To show grace for your own self. To heal. To grow. And love for other people. The ability to see other people the way God sees them. Love for the Lord enough to understand the severity of sin. And not become complacent in those things. You can take it or leave it. But my question to you today is, do your actions exemplify love? And not just to the people that you like, to the people that you have a hard time liking. If somebody hasn't done you any wrong, like, What is your, not that even if they've done you wrong, you have a basis of judging them, but at least it would be more understandable. If somebody hasn't done anything to you, if they haven't hurt your family, if they haven't sinned against God and against you, if all they were is imperfect, what are you judging them for? Who gave you all authority on heaven and on earth to judge? Who gave me? Who gave us that? Church, we must understand that this is for us. That God loves the weak. He loves the dirty. That's why he loves us. (laughs) And now that he saved us, we need to remember who God is. And what it means to be Christian. You are righteous by faith. Because you believe. And yes, we wrestle with ourselves and with our own sins and with our own pains. But we must also wrestle with loving others as well. This is probably going to be one of the harder sermons that I'll be giving. There are still hard ones coming like this. Um... Not anytime soon, though. We've we've got maybe about a month and a half of break before Romans 7 comes along. Um, But, and then there's, you know, renewal of our minds in Romans 12. But uh, I will say, like, I hope that we can, we can grow together and, and learn to do life together. And learn to love one another. And learn to be honest about where we are stiff-necked when it comes to our sin, where we are not really willing to talk about where our unwillingness to let God move together. So let's take this time, let's take this time to pray.
How are you? Let's just take this step by step because that, that was a lot. That was a lot. The first thing is, is, you know, how have you been stiff-necked? How have you been hardened about your sin? Not really, not really willing to give it up to the Lord. Not really willing to change it because you like it. Being renewed in the spirit of your mind. How have you allowed yourself? In what areas of your life have you allowed yourself to be less concerned with your sin and more focused on the grace of God? Not knowing that God's kindness is the very thing to lead you to repentance. Can we just take a moment to pray about those things right now? Let's just open up our hearts to be willing To face the sins that we don't want to give up and just to, at least to talk to God about them just just talk to God about the very thing in your life maybe it's not sin maybe it's an insecurity you know God I know you love me and I know you've been kind to me but that doesn't change the way I see myself that doesn't change the way that I've been hard on myself and that, and that that doesn't change the reality that I suck and that I have no hope and that these things are not going to change. That doesn't change the fact that I can. That that doesn't change the fact that I don't love my family. And there's no way that I that I can change that. That doesn't change the fact that you know I'm so decrepit. I'm so depraved as an individual that there's no hope for me. Let's just lift up the things that we don't let God move in to the Lord right now. Let's just take this moment to pray. God. Be From wherever you are listening, we hope you were blessed by this week's message. For more information, check out our website at nbkumc.com.